Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verses that most of you would have read very recently, but with which I want to open our worship today. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 to even superficial Bible readers is the what we call the hall of faith, for in it is given us a list of the elders of Israel and other patriarchs and men who had great faith and did great works by that great faith. As the apostle comes toward the end of his list of the well-known Old Testament characters, he then takes up listing martyrs that had their lives taken away in that intertestamental period of 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. And he refers to those that died around the time of the Maccabees. And he describes an illustrious crowd that we are not worthy to be in fellowship with, but by the grace of God, He has brought us unto Zion that is above and the spirits of just men made perfect. But today, in order for us to rightly understand Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 37, we must take ourselves out of this pampered, protected, peaceful, pleasure-mad generation and think upon the martyrs that went before us. And from the pages of Scripture, we do so right here, beginning at verse 35. The Word of the Lord. Women received their dead raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Those are our ancestors in the faith. Those are our fathers in the faith. I remind you that what is going forth in most pulpits today, which we would call the prosperity gospel, is wrong. This is a description of God's saints. God does not have a purpose and a plan for all of His elect while they're in this world to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. He is going to give them happiness, health, and wealth for eternity in heaven. But while they're here, they are going to drink of the cup of the persecution and tribulation that the Lord Jesus Christ drank of. And it'll make them better saints because of it. We do not have such a blessing 
And yet we are thankful for the freedom and liberty that we have. But these are our fathers. They were sawn asunder. There was no Geneva Convention, United Nations, UNICEF, PETA, or Planned Parenthood to protect the saints of God. They were abused in every way that man's corrupt mind could devise. And the Bible wants us to know that these martyrs are sitting in the stadium of life and you are on the track. They have run their race. They finished their course. They fought a good fight. And they're in heaven. But they're watching you and me. And that is what the next three verses of chapter 12 teach us. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. The Christian life of the New Testament is a race, and you are on the track. And countless millions are in the bleachers watching you. They ran. They ran well. They ran with great difficulties, opposition and obstacles to their running. But they finished their course. And they are listed in the pages of Scripture and the annals of history. And we shall remember them this day because Romans 8 demands that we do so. But you are on the track, and I am on the track beside you. And I ask as we run through our race of pleasure, peace, protection, pampered lifestyle, prosperity, are we running as faithfully? Since we're not being nailed to crosses by the Romans, we're supposed to take up our cross daily. Since we're not being put to death by the Catholics, we should be mortifying ourselves every day. We reject the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel would take 1 Corinthians verse 11, chapter 11 and verse, chapter 15 and verse 19 where Paul said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all, mis- all men most miserable. The prosperity gospel by deduction and logical extension says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most blessed. Because God wants us to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. But that hasn't been the lot of our ancestors in the faith. Our world has worthies. They're athletes, actors, actresses, and performing artists. Politicians. Worthies. 
The best of them cannot be compared to the least of these. The greatest athlete that has ever stepped on the stage of the North American continent, whether it be Jim Thorpe or Michael Jordan, is an absolute piece of dung in comparison with the least of these saints. And yet our nation worships them as stars. There are stars twinkling in heaven, and they are the spirits of just men made perfect. The Bible says here in the 38th verse, of whom the world was not worthy. So the Lord took them home because they were too good for this rotten, ugly, dirty place. And so they're under the throne and the altar of God where they are crying for vengeance on their enemies and that vengeance is about to fall upon this earth and we are in one of its latter generations and we better be running our race faithful because those martyrs are being told that God cannot execute vengeance until we, their brethren, except we will not be killed, most likely have been united with them in heaven. This is our theme for today. I hope it is sufficient for your souls. You're on the track. You have a race to run. There is a finish line. And Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, has already run His as well, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame of that cross. And what kind of a reward did He get? Was it some foolish Olympic gold medal at the end of His race? No, it was to sit down at the right hand of the majesty on high where he sits forever with a iron, with a rod of iron in his hands, the royal scepter of his kingdom. Let us pray. Our holy father in heaven, hallowed be thy great and glorious name. Thou art great and greatly to be praised. O Lord God, we thank Thee that in Thy infinite wisdom and perfect plan for Your elect that You chose much suffering for those that have gone before us. Much affliction, much tribulation, much persecution, much distress, much famine, much nakedness, much peril, much sword, and much dying. We thank Thee for their noble and holy testimony to us. Yet we are ashamed to include them in a prayer involving us. We are not worthy to be listed with them. And so we ask, O Lord, a measure of Thy Spirit that You would fill us with power and conviction and holy endeavor that though our race be different, we will run it as well and that we will finish our course and that we will keep the faith. Right. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Your infinite wisdom and plan. We do bless Thee and thank Thee for the freedom and liberty that we have here in our nation. We thank Thee that we can assemble in a place like this and there is absolutely no fear of death whatsoever or imprisonment or bonds or torture for our worship. But at the same time, Father, we admit and confess 
that the lack of danger, the lack of trouble for our faith, makes us pitiful Christians. And we fear that as Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked in the days of old, we would wax fat in this prosperous time and kick in rebellion, in lasciviousness, in carnality, in worldliness, in superficiality, in a form of godliness without the power, in being lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Have mercy upon us, Heavenly Father, and save us from such a terrible end that we would quit in our race and walk off the track to suck at the breasts of this pagan, foolish, wicked world. But let us keep our eyes on that finish line where the Apostle Paul said he forgot all those things that were behind him in his Christian accomplishments, and he pressed forward toward that high calling that you have made for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our slothfulness. Forgive us the sinfulness yet in our members. Forgive us our worldliness. Forgive us for for forgetting these notable ones who have gone before us. Let us be stirred up this day to remember them and that we would take up our cross and follow their Master and our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, help us to this end. Incline our hearts after Your commandments and away from covetousness. Make our feet to go in the way of Thy precepts. Show us Thy way and Thy truth and make us to go in that way. Hold us back, O Lord, from presumptuous sins. Save us from sins of ignorance. And bless us to be faithful before Thee. Even if we be the last, let us be faithful. We pray for Thy servants and saints in every place. Bless each and every one of them. We pray for any this day that under the hands of Islam, Catholicism, or any other ignorant, superstitious religion of man, that You will protect them and give them courage and comfort from Your Holy Scriptures and the Holy Spirit. That they will know that Thou art with them, and that they will be as confident as was our beloved brother Paul when he stood before Caesar And he knew that the Lord Jesus Christ had stood with him and would stand with him and would deliver him, though all men had forsaken him. Our Father in heaven, we know that you seek those that will worship thee in spirit and in truth. We are willing to do so without persecution, just some ridicule, and it's nothing. We fear thee. O Lord, far more than them, for Thou art able to cast both body and soul into hell. Yea, we fear Thee. And we pray that this day all that we do will be done according to the due order, pleasing in Thy sight. Though we are so pampered and protected, we pray that You will show us the fight and the war that You want us to wage and that we will do it faithfully. Have mercy upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Brother Gerald, if you'd like to come and tell us about some of our martyred brethren from the past. Amen. As recorded 
by our great apostle John as he saw in the vision the Lamb of God worthy to open the seals that were before them. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, he says, And when he had opened this fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Three or four months ago, I picked this book up here, land here. Not this book, but one just like it. I plumbed thumb through it, and I thought, hmm, interesting, but I can never read this. It's in the King's English, 1600 type. This is confusing. I'll never get through it. I laid it down. I picked it up again. I laid it down. I picked it up again, and I started reading Two or three pages at a time is about all I can endure because the letters are so, if you've never seen this, I'm sure some of you are, I'm talking, preaching to the choir, choir, but this is quite a hard read until you get accustomed to it. It's written like the 1611 King James original authorized version. The S's look like our F's. The words are spelled different. There's many things that cause it in our generation, to be hard to read. But the more I read, the more attached. Amen. I don't know if I can do this. Bear with me. The book is written by Samuel Moreland. He was a diplomat in Oliver Cromwell's parliament, and he was quite a scholar. He was a master in the languages of Latin, French, Greek, as well as English. He was a diplomat, and the reason for this book ever being in existence is because of a massacre that happened probably in the 16, uh, about 1655. The Duke of Savoy, which is an Italian, probably something similar to a governor of a portion of Italy at that time, under the, the uh, sanction and the blessing of the Roman Church, and you have to bear in mind at this time Rome was all, was an ecclesiastical power, the church, but it was also the political power. Right. So it had absolute authority, and they gave these people authority to go in and wipe out anybody that would not partake of the sacraments or take the mass, the host, the cracker, whatever you desire to call it. So they brought, put together, this Duke of Savoy put together an army of, of various uh, nationalities. They were Italian, they were French, they were even some from the Piedmont, Valley of the Piedmont area. There were our Irish soldiers involved in it. They went in and they made Nicey with the Waldensians. The Waldensians took them in. It was approximately a thousand of them. The Waldensians took them in and treated them with great hospitality and brought them into their homes and fed and housed them. And these thousand soldiers took their hospitality and played, like I said, nicely with them until the alarm was sounded 
for the massacre. Now, if there's any of you here that have weak hearts or weak stomach, I will not be offended if you excuse yourself. I'm not going to try to be too graphic, but I, I have to say a few things that are not going to make things sit well with you before lunchtime. There are some. Anyway, the alarm was sounded, and these thousand soldiers thereabout that had been housed and made friends and eat and sup and communed with these Waldensian Christians, they started the massacre. Man, woman, child. It was heard across Europe. It was, you know, they had been persecuted for many years, but this was the atrocity did to all atrocities. They had no mercy. They were bloodthirsty atrocious, wicked, evil men with the sanction of the political body, the political arm of Europe, and the ecclesiastical arm of the church. They were doing this in the name of God, and they had no mercy whatsoever. They destroyed these people unmercifully. So the cry went out over Europe. It went out over England. At this time, we had Oliver Cromwell, and regardless of what you think about Oliver Cromwell, Oliver Cromwell was the protectorate, Lord Protectorate of England at this time. And this is not about Oliver Cromwell. This is not about Samuel Morley. But I say this to give you an idea about what happened and caused this to be and be published and to be investigated. The massacre rang out all over Europe and all over England. The people in England and Scotland and Ireland especially, they cried out and because Samuel, I mean, uh, Oliver Cromwell being a king-like figure and politician, his ears were tingled by the cries of the people. The cries of the people went forth to the ears of Oliver Cromwell, which sent Samuel Morley there to, as an ambassador to the Duke of Savoy up in northern Italy to get him to stop massacring and stop persecuting these Waldensian Christians. Anyhow. That said, there was something else that we, I want you to, I want to not forget, uh, mention about this time. And I'd be sorry if I didn't mention this. There was something else going on in England about this time. 1655 was when this happened. This book was put together, I think, in 1658. Or the writings, or the, or the accumulations of the articles that Moreland put together. England and its territories had a new piece of work called the Authorized Version of the King James Bible. They had had it for about 45 years. I say this to remind you that these wild Indians had been persecuted and, and driven far and wide by the Catholic Church, the Rome Church. They had been persecuted for many years. But this brought the attention to a particular group of people that had this King James Bible in their possession for 40-something years now, and they knew and had a true understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his charitable uh, teachings. This is not in the book. This is just putting timelines together. 45 years they had had this authorized version of the Bible. And I, I would think that this had 
some variant on it. I began, there's four volumes, I mean four of these books. It's two volumes, four books. I began reading this four months ago or so. I'm in book two finally. I can't tell you all about this book. I don't have the time today. I can tell you that the atrocities that went forth in the name of God, in the name of the Church of Rome, against these Waldensians was un, is almost unspeakable. Their children were snatched out of the arms of their mothers. They were dashed, their brains dashed out against the rocks. Their bellies were slit open. Their body parts, not just the children, men, women, children, their body parts were cut off. They were roasted in the fire. I could go on and on. I mean, this gets very graphic. If you would like to investigate this, it's, you know, or you'd like to talk to me about this sometime, I'd be glad to, but I'm not going to get all that graphic today. It's here. It even has illustrations in the back of the book, and you can see some of the imaginations of the wicked heart of man. How can you desperately and be so depraved, we ask, but yet we know because we are desperately wicked. I chose, it was hard to choose out of this book what to give you what's in this book as a glimpse. Some of you that have maybe read this, maybe it won't mean as much to you. But I beg you to bear with me. I want to read just a little portion out of the midst of this book pertaining to the overall, the, what they, how they felt about these Waldensians. You know, we hear the name Waldensian today and we think they were pretty good. It's a pretty popular, honorable name now. Not in Europe. At that time, in the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th century, it was a name of scorn and dishonor, and they had been downplayed to all the nations around them that they were just horrible people. They were heretics because the Church of Rome, they would not partake of all the popish sacraments and, uh, you know, the purgatory of mass, they hated it. They hated the marriage vows, the Christian vows, the baptismal of uh, baptism of children, or regenerate baptismal regeneration. They hated this, and they made no they made no effort to conceal it. And that was what really ticked off the Rome Church, the popes, and the bishops of Rome. I sat down Friday night. I couldn't. The Lord, I guess, woke me up. I don't know, and stirred my spirit, and I picked this book up. And there's a portion in here right ahead of what I'm going to read today that lists about 50 or 60 uh, Barbies, they call them, or pastors in our language today. They're listed of these Waldensian pastors. And the names are Italian or French. And you can imagine, Chris Nappy, you might be able to handle this better than me, but you can imagine my difficulty in reading those names. And I looked at them and, you know, there were... 50 or 60 of them, they had a few notes about some of their activities, and I thought it'd be, you know, just as easy for me to just skip over this and not go there, but the Lord quickened my spirit at that time, and he says, you owe. You owe. Right. You owe those men at least the honor of reading their names. Yes. Now, pray I didn't dishonor them by mispronouncing them. But I did. I sat there and I was 
Before I forget, this book is a treasure. You can't buy this book from me. I wouldn't sell it to you. But it's scarce. If you want to know your fathers in the faith and some people that called themselves Christians and really deserved honor and wore the badges of martyrdom, then you need to read this. We sit here on our plush seats and yes. complain because the coffee's cold or the snack's not ready on time or we got this pastor goes too long. That's, you know, about the only persecution we get. I've got to go on. Please bear with me. As I told you, this is hard reading. I think I have it pretty well, but if I stumble, forgive me and bear with me and I hope I can get this. I wanted to give you just an illustration of what the the attempt was against these people. I hope I can get my eyes cleared up to where I can read. This is a description of the means they used, the church, when I say they used, the church of Rome, the bishops, the popes, the inquisitors of, that were hired, hitmen, mar- uh, mercenaries, we would say today probably. The first means they used to exterminate and extirpate them were their thunderbolts and anathemas, their canons, constitutions, and decrees, and whatsoever might render them odious to the kings, princes, and the people of the earth, prohibiting them all manner of communion and society with any of their own tribe, sentencing them as men unworthy and incapable of the least charge, honor, profit, or inheritance. Nay, not so much as a burying place amongst Christians, confiscating their goods, disinheriting their children, and raising their houses down to the ground. And these very sentences are at this day to be seen together with several letters of Pope Alexander III and many others after him and the formal instructions which were given by them to those instruments whom they then employed for the effecting of that work, as also the strict commands that laid, they laid upon kings, princes, magistrates, consuls, and people to make an exact inquisition to shut the gate of their cities, to lay violence hands upon, and to slay without mercy those poor innocent lambs, giving their accusers a third or thereabout of their goods, and laying some punishment upon all those, whosoever they were, who should attempt to conceal any one of them. But now in process of time, when as these means were judged too mild and gentle for the effecting of a business of so high a nature, and that notwithstanding all their industry, those people began to multiply exceedingly, and their ministers did not at all cease to teach and preach to their respective congregations that the Pope was Antichrist, the Mass was an abomination, the host an idol, Purgatory a fable. Innocent, who succeeded post, uh, Pope Celestine by name about the year 1198, took a more speedy and effectual 
course for the extirpation of them. By giving some inquisitors appointed purposely for that work a plenipotentiary. What a word. It means full, absolute, plenipotentiary power. First, to form their processes as they should, as they say good, and then to deliver them to the magistrate, and thence to hasten them to the stake or gibbet. Gibbet. There's no one of those words. It means a gallows. Thank God I did. I won't stop right there just for a moment. I, I did a little research on this gibbet. If they'd have said gallows, I'd have thought that was we would we what we imagine as a gallows is where they execute or hang someone. That was not the case here. They had already been executed and punished and tortured to the point of uh, to death. They were already dead. This gibbet or the gallows that if, of that time was what they would publicly display the dead bodies and the, the torn, persecuted bodies of their victims on in the public places. That was their gallows or gibbet. That's what they were referring to. A gallus doesn't seem too bad if you're going to be executed for the, you know, you're going to be persecuted for your faith and your religion. But that wasn't a simple execution that they suffered. Like I say, this is very graphic. If you want to talk to me about it, I will talk to you, but not just for the graphics, but. Stake or gibbet. By which means, in a few years, they had filled the greatest part of Christendom with most formidable and lamentable spectacles of their barbarous and unchristian cruelties. Now that this power of these inquisitors was unlimited and unbounded is plain by their constant practices. For they had power to assemble the people whenever they pleased at the sound of a bell. They had power to proceed against the bishops themselves if they found occasion, and to make their process themselves. Yea, they had power to imprison whom they would and whom they would release. All manner of accusation was valid with them. A sorcerer or a whore was a sufficient witness to take away the life of any Waldensian heretic. And what was more, there was no necessity of confronting parties with parties or examining the business, but it was sufficient to exhibit a bill before the inquisitor without either witnesses or law whatsoever. If any man were rich, his wealth was a sufficient proof either to convict him of heresy or at least to be a favorer of the same. No advocate durst plead their cause nor any notary receive any act in their behalf. When any man was caught in the net of this inquisition, he was sure never to escape. If happily he was let out, it was but in mockery to bring him in again. As a cat sometimes plays with a mouse a while and then crushes the bones a bit between her teeth. And if it were too small a punishment to take away their lives, there were, there are yet to be seen many sentences of those bloody inquisitors against the very bones of those poor Waldensies. To dig them, to dig them up after they had been buried at the least 
30 years, and then to burn them in the open streets and other public places. The children of such parents as were thus proceeded against durst not inherit their lands and possessions for fear of being condemned as inheriting together with such possessions their pretended heresies. If you had your parents had accomplished a bigger state and they were accused of heresy, you didn't dare go after it because they would burn you at the stake too. That was all the proof they needed. I hope that will say a little about what this is about. You can't get to appreciate these without reading it. And it's difficult reading, but I urge you to do it. Give it an attempt. Read a few pages. It's a scarce book. It won't be available in the next generation, I don't think, without the Lord's help. There was great cries with these Waldensians during the persecution, and their, the death squads hit town, and they burnt through these, tied those people to the stake, and they cried even to the death, but they praised the Lord Jesus Christ and even in their death. Yes. They were even cut to the point of witnessing to the yes. inquisitors that were burning them at the time, begging them to repent and turn to the Lord Amen. for their wickedness. Right. Their cries went up, but I can assure you by the word of God, their cries were heard. Amen. I can also assure you by the word of God, there's just cries going up right now. It's not coming from purgatory, hope. It's coming from hell. These inquisitors, these inquisitors and bishops and popes are crying out right now today. But no one's hearing them. It's like their tongue has been ripped out of their throat. But their screams are in their ears and they're deafening in their ears. Their screams are. I say this by the word of God because I do believe that with all my heart that justice and judgment has been done. And these these people that you read about in this book have the right, they have the right to be called a Christian. Right. Yes. Do we? Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Gerald.